Let's turn in our Bibles here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. What I've heard from people is that Merlin has a reputation for going long, yet his preaching is good, so he gets away with it. That's the impression I've gotten. So I'm thinking, I'm not Merlin, so I better not go that long. <coughs> First Thessalonians chapter two, I'll read a few verses here. <coughs> Okay, let's read the first eight verses of this chapter two. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which tries our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, or a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. In verse seven, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. This is the passage, these eight verses we'll really uh, seek to focus our attention on here with the time we have this morning. This is a passage that was written to who? To the church of Thessalonica. And it was written like over a year after the time that the Apostle Paul was there. The Apostle Paul was there in Thessalonica. And the work that God did among these believers was incredible. I think of the church at Thessalonica, the people he's writing to, as a missionaries, he was a missionary, right? As a missionary's dream come true church. That's how I think of Thessalonica. Because the work God did there was incredible. There are compliments given to this church repeatedly in scripture that make you think, wow. Chapter one, verse, verse um, eight. Chapter one, verse eight. For from you, Sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Wow. He's saying, everyone's heard about your faith. What a compliment. God worked mightily in Thessalonica. And now he is writing back to this church. He had to leave. Now he's writing back. And he's telling this church, hey, when I came, when I came to your city and, and we had gospel ministry among you, here's what I did. Here's how I went about it. Some writer called this passage Missions 101 of the early church. Here's how we did missions. For that reason, this passage, these verses we just read, are extremely helpful to me as a missionary, but to us as the church that's tasked with the work of advancing the gospel today. When we came in unto you, Here's what we did. Let's look at these verses uh, relatively quickly. Verse one, <coughs> for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. It's the first thing he tells this church. Church of Thessalonica, when we came, you need to know our entrance was not in vain. Now that may strike you the same way it does me, being a little obvious, right? 
Of course, it wasn't in vain. But as believers, we need to hear this. I'll speak for myself. I need to hear this. When the gospel goes forward, when the gospel is taught, <coughs> it is not in vain. The gospel is powerful to save. Uh, the, I'm thinking of the Isaiah 55 passage, I won't turn there now, that talks about the word of God being like the rain that comes down from the heavens, hits the ground, waters the ground. He says, my word will not return void. The word of God is powerful. There's been times in Uganda where I'll share truth with someone in some way, and it's maybe not received very well, and I'll walk away and think, I'm not sure that did any good. Just being transparent with you about that. The fact is, the word of God is powerful. Our entrance was not in vain. Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. Our entrance was not in vain, but verse two, but after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God, with much contention. So you see that verse two, what's he talking about uh, with this? They just came from Philippi. That's what he makes mention of. They just came from Philippi, and what happened in Philippi? Well, they were, they were whipped, right? And they were put in jail, Paul and Silas, and uh, they, they spent the night in jail, and that's when the miraculous uh, thing took place where the Philippian jailer was saved and they were set free from prison. Well, these men now, are in Thessalonica, and he tells the church, look, we came to you after being treated awfully. After being treated so bad, we still came to you. Think about the fact that in Thessalonica, these men, Paul and Silas, probably were still healing on their backs. I'm just thinking this through, right? They were whipped. Then they took a long walk, got to Thessalonica, and began ministry. And they were bold in their message in the midst of this great uh, contention, as the Bible tells us, we are bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God. Why? Because they believed the message they held in their hands. They knew it was not in vain. They knew it was a great truth that pierced the hearts of men in Philippi, and now they're trusting God to work through in Thessalonica. Praise God for that faithfulness, and for us, that example of really how we need to be uh, with the gospel. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing, but to us who, is, who are saved, it's the power of God. Look, look at verse three. I know I'm moving relatively quickly, but um, these are really just instructive things for us. Verse three, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Interesting verse here, where he's talking about the message that he shared with these people. For sake of time, I won't go there, but in Acts 17, is where we can read the brief account of this actually happening. Uh, they are on their second missionary journey. They reached to Thessalonica. And the Bible tells us there in Acts 17 that they went into the synagogue. That's what they would do, right? They would go into the synagogue in the city. And, and the Bible tells us there that they opened the scriptures in Thessalonica, this place where there was no gospel influence yet. And they, they opened scripture and they sought to persuade people that Jesus Christ was truly the Christ, and that, that their message was true. They shared with them the gospel. They opened the word of God and showed them the truth of, of the gospel. And, and God worked through that. 
Here in verse three, we're being told our exhortation was not of deceit. It was not a deceitful message. Now, once again, you may think, obviously, they weren't deceiving them. But think about something. As a messenger of the gospel, as a steward of the gospel, which we are, this makes us really unique in the world today. People who have a message that is, is um, void of deceit. It's truth. It's pure. It's right. There's a time in Uganda when I was walking down the road to a market, and on the left side of the road, this is close to our home, there was this compound of grassroot huts and a family that I'd met before. So I stopped in and said hi to this family. It was a husband, wife, a couple little kids. And I sat there and just kind of talked with them. They liked helping me with my language learning, laughing at my mistakes and things, which is helpful. So I, uh, I was talking with them and I said, hey, what do, you, what do you do for a living? I saw he didn't have a garden, so he thought he must have a job somewhere. And he said, oh, I'm a Catholic priest in uh, Logiri, in a village far away, like a village that's 40 kilometers away. And uh, I thought that was a little odd, the reason being, Catholic priests very commonly, at least there in Uganda, are not allowed to have a wife. And here he is with his wife and kids, so. I said, so, Mimudalia yobario luzu tusarisi mio vudia mio kupia mipimianzi kipia indiariosia. And he laughed, I asked him, how is it that you go there to be the Catholic priest, but here you're staying with your wife and kids, I thought you weren't allowed to do that. And he was like, oh, I'm in hiding here. So I go there on the weekends to be the priest, and here I'm, I'm in hiding. And I'm thinking, so I'm not supposed to know about the wife, right? I couldn't believe that. Uh, since then, we found out that's pretty much common with all of them. Um, I thought that was funny. I told my wife about it. Then I thought about that more, and I thought, that's not funny. That's terrible. I know that village, that village of Logiri, the only thing they have is that Catholic church. They don't have a, any other influence as far as any gospel influence. So that means this man goes, puts on his religious garb, and does all his stuff, deceiving people, right? Like young people coming into the church, wanting truth, I, I would hope to some extent, seek, seeking, you know, wanting to know something about God and eternity, I, I would hope. And he's deceiving them. Terrible. There's a lot of stories to be told about that as to the deception that goes on beyond just hiding your wife in a different village. Deception. Very common in our world today, even in our own country, right? I think we can uh, think of situations that we may have seen or heard about. The fact is this. As messengers of the gospel, we hold God's word and it is pure and right. It's complete. They can ask me any question from this book. And I'll either have an answer or go find the answer, right? We have God's word. Our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, is the another thing mentioned here. It was not impure in any way. There was no impurity going on in, our, in their lives, is what they're saying. I think we see how significant and important that is to ministry by the fact that it's mentioned here. Or in guile, this verse gives us the idea of deceit or error. Uh, the message of the gospel, our work as, as stewards of the gospel has no deceit and no error. In other words, it's not wrong, okay? There's another man in our village named uh, Agobi. Agobi is the imam of our mosque. He's, that means like the preacher. He teaches the, teaches 
the Quran, essentially, in, in the mosque. Uh, Agobi is an older man. He goes up his long two-kilometer hill five times a day to go into the mosque and teach his people Islam. I'm very sure that Agobi sincerely believes what he's teaching is right. He's not deceiving them. He just thinks it's right. And as we know, since we hold God's word, he's simply wrong. Jesus is not just a man. He truly is the Christ. So we pray for Agobi for that reason. We've had some level of gospel relationship with him. The message we hold is pure and it is right. In verse four, look at verse four. <coughs> but as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, I love these words, and trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which tries our hearts. We've been put in trust with the gospel. I love that um, kind of posture of humility. The Apostle Paul repeatedly calls himself a steward of the gospel. Someone that holds something, has been given something of value to be responsible for. We're not deceiving anyone, but we hold great truth. Verse five. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Uh, some translations say a pretext of greed, cloak of covetousness, a way of getting something from someone. This is something that happens commonly in the religious world today. It happens in Islam. It happens in even that, uh, that uh, Christendom type of Catholicism we see in Uganda uh, where there's just a lot of greed that happens, unfortunately, sadly, taking advantage of people with, uh, with a pretext of greed covered by uh, this, this uh, cloak of covetousness, as the Bible calls it. But the, the point being, we were not that. Verse six, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we could have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. The apostle Paul is saying, look, we were apostles, we could have been burdensome to you, but we were not. Now the last thing we'll look at here, verses seven and eight, and I'll finish with this, so thanks for bearing with me here. Verses seven and eight, <coughs> but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Now this, I feel, gets into a very just intimate, uh, careful glimpse into the way they approached Thessalonica, the way missions was done, the way it should be done today. He says, look, when we came, we, we were not all that. There was no greed involved, right? There was not this um, burdensome way of us getting something out of you, but rather, we were gentle. Very, very gentle. And gives an illustration to show just how gentle he's talking about. We were so gentle that we were like a nursing mother caring for her children. What illustration, what picture could he have given that's more just loving than that, more careful than that. So, verse eight, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. I think about those words, not the gospel of God only, and find it somewhat bizarre. Not only the gospel, we didn't only give you the gospel, as if that's not enough or something. These people were all about the gospel. We know how powerful the gospel is. But the message here is this. 
we didn't only give you the gospel. We also imparted unto you ourselves, our own souls. Why? The end of verse eight, because you were dear unto us. This posture of humility, this great faith in the gospel that resulted in a spirit just of, of humility and gentleness, let me say, worked. It really worked in Thessalonica. And there's no question in my mind, these words are given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, so that we would learn from them and really seek to live them out in our lives. Uh, we must do this. I need to ask myself the question, how can I live this out? How can I impart my soul to people? How can I be gentle to them? That's not normal in American culture at all. That's, that's not how we live. I, we being our culture, right? So we need to really be an exception to the norm in that way. Let me close with this story. Agobi, the imam that I mentioned, I met him early on, like a, a month or two after we got to Uganda. <coughs> found out he was the imam. He found out I was not there to further his cause. So we didn't really hit it off. And he didn't really speak any English. So I knew very little Lugbara. He, he knew very little English. Our relationship was very surface. But I began to pray for him that we would be able to have some kind of relationship. Uh, yet, like a year went by. A lot of time went by. Then there was an event in our village that we live in. It was like an administrative type of event where it's kind of hard to describe, where all the village men come together and discuss certain things and have a meal. Anyway, I was invited, so I said, sure, I'll, I'll go. I'll meet some new people that way. So I went, sat on the floor, and ate with all these men. Ate some very interesting things. And I sat right next to Agobi. I didn't expect that, but there he was sitting right next to me. And he was, he was cold. He was real quiet and didn't talk to me much, which I, uh, you know, that was okay. I, we finished eating, stood up. I was about ready to walk away. And Agobi says, uh, hey, Joe, why don't you come to my home tomorrow for tea with your family? I was surprised. I said, absolutely. I'm down for that. I would love to. So the next morning at around 10 o'clock for tea time, my wife and I got the kids together. We walked down the road, went to his home. He has two wives, many, many children and grandchildren. And uh, we sat and had tea with him. And he said, I want you to know it meant a lot to me that you came and had a meal with me. And I want you to, wanted you to come to my home just so I could show you my gratefulness for that. And I thought, I had no idea. I didn't know it would be that meaningful to him. But it was, apparently, and from that point began an evangelistic Bible study where we started in Genesis, and many times we got together and uh, in Lugbar, in the local language, looked at Genesis to look at Scripture to see the biblical Jesus. If you pray for Agobi, he's not turned to Christ, but I'm thankful for that opportunity. And I walked away from it and thought this, Lord, show me how to impart my soul to people. Show me how to do that. I don't know how. But through the Holy Spirit, as we walk with him, as we look to him, I think he can do that in each one of our lives. As we seek to live out this example, live like Jesus Christ so that he can be seen through us and we can reach people with this great truth that we've been entrusted with. Let me close in prayer here this morning. I'll turn it over to, to Merlin. Father, thank you. Lord, you are the perfect picture of this. You're the perfect picture of love, of gentleness, of truth that is right. Uh, Lord, and here you've given it to us. Lord, I pray for us. <laughs> Lord, that we would represent you well 
as servants of Christ, <coughs> as people that have been given the gospel. So I pray you speak to us from your word, Lord. Your word is powerful. I pray you speak to us. Just convict our hearts. Allow us to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray.